So, um, as I already mentioned, we're in the second week of this message series here at the river called The Gift of Christmas. And um, last week, we spent a uh, little time questioning that premise, right? Right at the beginning of the, me- of the message. That is, whether uh, winter is a gift or not, right? Um, and I'm not going to go there again. If you want to listen to what we talked about last week, you are, feel free to go to the, the message online. But let me begin this morning with uh, an idea, uh, a fallacy, really, that is out there, and it goes like this. If I decide to follow Jesus, if I decide to be a Christian in my life, then my life is always going to be upwards and to the right, all right? What I'm referring to is what stock market investments do, right? You want them to go up and to the right. That's what you want the chart to do, so to speak. Um, Just to kind of cement this in your minds, I put up a chart this morning of Apple. This is Apple stock from its IPO in 1980. Evan, can we get that? Okay, here we go. Um, So 40 years of Apple. You see the IPO was actually in 1980, and this is the chart, right? And that's kind of how you figure that your life ought to go, right? Upwards and to the right. Now, did you know, did you know, and I I just did a little research um, this morning, if you invested in an Apple stock at its IPO, and you put $1,000 in there, all right, $440,000, right? It reminds me of that little clip on uh, Forrest Gump where he goes, yeah, my mama invested in some kind of fruit company, and now I don't have to work anymore, right? That could have been you. That could have been you. If you were around in 1980, wow, missed opportunities, right? Upwards and to the right. That's kind of how we expect our lives to go if we're followers of Jesus Christ. Of course, we expect there might be a few blips, right? There might be a few few down moments from time to time, a few frustrations. Um, And we know people die, so we expect to attend a few funerals from from time to time. But generally, we expect that things are going to go well for us, right? That summer is here to stay, upwards and to the right. What we don't expect and what we don't want is an actual winter, a winter of the soul. We we figure that if we're following Jesus, then we have God's blessing, and so everything generally will go well for us, right? But that's not the case. And did you know that Jesus did not promise this? In fact, he promised quite the opposite that in this life, we would go through some things. In fact, already in the Old Testament, God let us in on this reality. Let me read for you a few verses from the book of Ecclesiastes, um, which is some wisdom literature in the Bible, which means you really need to pay attention, because this is kind of like the graduate school of wisdom in the Bible. Chapter 3 of this book says this. Listen to these words. There is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn 
and a time to dance. Okay, what did we get from that? What did you get from that? Well, what you should have got is this. If you're human, and I'm hoping most of you are this morning, you're going to go through seasons. There's going to be some wonderful times in your life when everything feels like, like spring and summer, when cotton's high and mama's good looking. And then, and then, there's going to be some winters. When everything feels like winters, when things are just hard and difficult and painful, this is the reality of what it means to be alive. Now, it's, it's important to understand that the seasons we go through are not tied to, to actual seasons. I mean, spiritually, we can go through winter when it's actually summer outside. Conversely, we can go through spring or summer in winter. For example, this time of the year, Christmas. I mean, for a lot of people, this is, you know, the most wonderful time of the year, right? Now, of course, for some, it's not. For some, this is the most difficult time of the year, but, but you get the point. It's not tied to the actual seasons. The truth is, we are all vulnerable to a winter of the soul. In fact, there are a bunch of things that can send us into winter. And, and let me just put up this, this slide today just to remind you of a, of a few things that we can go through. I mean, something like job loss, right? Or, or not being able to find a job. And it can be so, so debilitating and, and so frustrating and, and so lonely, so to speak, just to get, you know, to send out all these resumes and to get rejected time after time after time or to lose your job, right? A job that you've had maybe for a long time and was a big part of your identity. How about sickness? You know, we underestimate how much our, our physical selves are tied into our souls, right? And so when we're physically sick, you know, especially maybe when we're going through something more long-term, that can send us into a winter. How about divorce? That's a big one, right? I don't know anybody who has gone through a divorce um, for whom it wasn't at least a little wintry outside. How about betrayal, right? I mean, somebody who you thought was a friend at work or somebody who... who you know, you thought you could trust, turns around and betrays you in, in, a, in a terrible way. And just like that, you're into winter. How about unanswered prayer? Now, this is a bit of a mis misnomer because, you know, it, it, no prayer really goes unanswered. God might say no from time to time, but, but, but there are seasons of our lives in which we're knocking on the door of heaven in which we're praying in which we're, and fervently praying and, and nothing seems to be happening. There's no breakthroughs, and that can send us into a winter. How about loss, right? We lose somebody that we love, or maybe we lose um, our house, or we lose uh, something that's precious to us, and it's winter outside. Even time of life, age, different milestones, for example, um, you know, if you lose someone that's really dear to you, then the time of the year uh, when you actually lost them becomes kind of a, a bit of a winter for you. Or maybe as you go through some of the, the seasons of life or some of the events of life, like Christmas, and this is the first Christmas you've been without, without that person, and it's hard. It's hard. The point is, we can all 
go through winters. And um, all of this is, is summed up in a really um, important verse in Proverbs 13, verse 12. And, and let me just read this for you. It says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desired fulfilled, but, but desires, sorry, it should be desires fulfilled, is a tree of life. Now, you've got to understand that, that Hebrew, the Hebrew language, has what's called an intensive verb form. We don't have this really in the English, right? And so um, in Hebrew, if, if a verb appears in one form with a certain kind of ending, uh, it might be translated, David broke the cup, right? But if it's, if it's intensive, it's, it's an intensive verb tense, um, you'd probably translate it, David smashed the cup. Are you with me? Now, this word deferred here is, is an intensive tense. You, you might translate it, hope crushed makes the heart sick. Or hope buried six feet under makes the heart sick. And that's what we can feel like when we go through, through winter, right? And maybe some of you in this room this morning are going through that right now. You're saying, I get this verse. Not just as a concept, but I get it because I'm experiencing it. Now, in the midst of all this, God has a message for us. And the message is this, that it won't always be winter. That it won't always be winter. That Christmas is coming. But this message comes to us in a way we don't expect. Let me say it like this. Christmas doesn't mean that all of our problems will be solved with the arrival of Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem and that we'll never experience winter again if we follow Jesus. What it means is that ultimately, ultimately, in Jesus, the power of winter is broken. And that spring and summer, that is our future. That is our ultimate future. Now, to get at this... Um, I want to get a little psychological this morning. I did my undergraduate degree in, in psychology, and so I'm fascinated by this stuff. And, and so I need to sort of walk you through some of this stuff. Um, all of us go through events, go through experiences. Just put that, um, thanks, Evan. Um, we all go through events and experiences every day, of course. And we have reactions to those events and experiences. All right? Now, we think, we think that it's the experiences in and of themselves that cause the feelings and the reactions, but we're not actually right about that, all right? Because you have this little thing inside you called a brain. Well, it might not be a little thing. It might, well, for you, it might be, never mind. Um, anyway, now this, our brains, our brains are, are hard, hardwired to um, react to certain situations, Right? And to make judgments. And we are making these judgments all the time, right? So someone cuts us off in traffic, right? That's the event. That's the experience, right? And, and our brain processes that. Now, for some of us, we react to that by, you know, driving up behind them, flashing our lights, or maybe, you know, uh, flipping them, you know what? Right? Or, or if we are really crazy, you know, uh, and this has happened, of course, people smash other people off the road. Some people react like that. Other people... Hopefully you're one of them. Just go, oh, what a crazy driver, right? 
I mean, I saw someone, actually, I was following Gord um, as he was driving to church this morning, and someone just, like, left turn right in front of him. And um, I thought, oh, man, that would upset me. So I saw Gord in the foyer. Gord was like, no big deal. That happens to me all the time. I drive defensively. My point is this. Two people can experience the same event, right, make different judgments about it, and so have different feelings and reactions, right? In fact, a little bit of information can really change the, uh, the whole situation, right? So say somebody is driving crazy, right, and you're, you see him weaving in and out of traffic, and you're thinking, where's the police when you need it, right? That's your immediate feeling and reaction. That's your judgment call that your brain is making. But what if, what if in that moment you found out that um, this person was actually driving to the hospital because their only daughter got hit by a bus? Would that change your feelings? Yeah, of course. In that moment, you'd probably think to yourself, I hope they get a police escort, right? They need to get there as soon as possible. Now, do our brain's judgments change? Yes, they're actually quite fluid, and they can change in, in, in a heartbeat, as I just explained. But we have something that influences our brain and how, and how we make judgments. And that's called our worldview. Or another word for that might be a schema, right? I actually have no German word as well, then we won't get into that. But, but our worldview, this is what informs our brain. Now, our worldview doesn't change easily, all right? And our worldview is made up of all the things that we've learned, uh, all of our experiences over the years, um, the, our family of origin, all this kind of stuff, right? And it's actually our worldview that informs our brain, which helps us make judgments about how we're going to react to certain experiences. Are you with me? Okay. This is why two people can go through the exact same event, and have completely different reactions to it. Different worldview, different worldview. Now, understand, what's going on with the Christmas story, all right, is God, God wants to change your worldview. He wants to give you a kind of a 10,000-foot view on reality, and God wants to assure you through the Christmas story that he is very much in control of this world. And that the arrival of Jesus is a turning point in human history. This is why Christmas is accompanied by so many incredible things, right? We got an immaculate conception, angel choirs, magi arriving from Iran bringing gifts, visitations, light, music, songs. The list goes on and on and on. It's just an amazing event, right? Do you understand what God is doing at Christmas? Again, he's trying to change your worldview, your schema. He's trying to tell you, listen, the arrival of Jesus changes everything. Now, now there is a light to the nations. Now there is a hope for all people. To quote Isaiah, which we talked about last week, Jesus is now arrived, and so we have a wonderful counselor. We have a mighty God. We have an everlasting father. We have a prince of peace. Understand? It's a turning point, like, like when the Allies landed on the beaches of Normandy in the Second World War. The war wasn't over, but it essentially was, the outcome was already decided. God is trying to help us understand that at Christmas and to change our, our understanding of reality. But, 
And this is a, a very big but. What it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that none of us will ever experience winter again. And if we look back at this, it doesn't mean that we have a whole different set of experiences and events that are different from the rest of the people in the world. All right? We're still going to get a flat tire. We're still going to go, some of us, through cancer. We're still going to go through the loss of people that we love. We're still going to go through, through difficult times. The fact that Christmas has arrived tells us it doesn't, it, means, it doesn't mean that we're never going to feel angry or afraid or in pain again. And, and, this, and this is actually really made clear to us in Scripture. And, and I want you to see this this week. Tell me, what happens after Christmas? After, after all the magic, so to speak. Well, an angel, an angel visits Joseph in a dream and says to him, flee, flee, because King Herod wants to take the, the baby's life. And suddenly, suddenly, Joseph and Mary, they find themselves in this foreign land in Egypt where they, they know Ablos, know Egyptian, right? Can you imagine how Joseph and Mary must have felt? Yay, Christmas has come. The light has come. Now all things are going to be different. Everything is changing with this little baby in a manger. Now run to Egypt. Right? Before you get murdered. Suddenly, they're like one of those migrants that we see nowadays desperate to cross the Mediterranean, desperate not to die. Now, here's something more, and you think about this. Even when Herod dies and Joseph and Mary can return to Israel, where did they find themselves? In Nazareth. Nazareth, this, this obscure little town in the middle of nowhere. And, and, and Joseph has to do the hard work of, of being a mason, you know, building things with brick, just like the people of Israel had done in Egypt. Slave-like work. And, and I'm guessing that he went to work a few times in the morning, packing his lunch, going to this hard, hard work that he had to do, and thinking, did I miss something? We're, wasn't Jesus supposed to, to change everything? In fact, did you know that Joseph died, and you think about this, never seeing anything of Jesus' ministry. Remember, he experienced angel visitations. He experienced Simon and, and Anna in the temple saying, this child is going to be a light to the, the Gentiles. And then, well, nothing. In fact, we know an incredibly little about Jesus' childhood, Right? The only event that Luke records is this, this event where, where Joseph and Mary are going to Jerusalem for Jesus' bar mitzvah when he's 12 years old, right? And Jesus ends up getting left behind. And I'm guessing Joseph, like any good husband, took some heat from his wife for this situation. Like, weren't you supposed to be the one that watched him, right? What kind of father are you? So the one event that gets recorded in the Bible is an event in which... You know, you might want to question Joseph and Mary's, Mary's parenting. In my mind's eye, 
I can see him on his deathbed holding Mary's hand and saying to her, I didn't get to see it. Like Moses, who, who never got to enter the promised land, I didn't get to see the promise fulfilled. All I got was more winter. 33 years, 33 years before Jesus' ministry began. I mean, Jesus turned 21, and, and Joseph is gone probably by this time, and maybe Mary's thinking, okay, he's 21, all right? Kind of an age of majority. Now he can vote, right? And, and he can drink alcohol. But nothing, okay? Then he turns 25, right? And that's kind of a pivotal year. Nothing, Right? And then he turns probably 27, 28, and, and Jesus is still working as a mason. He's just, he's doing what his dad did in this obscure little town of Nazareth, which is probably as large as the amount of people sitting here this morning. That's how many people were in that town. And, you know, when your kid turns like, you know, 27, 28, and, and, and you have all these expectations and dreams and hopes for them, right? And certainly Mary isn't, you know, isn't unfounded in having them. You start to wonder, is this ever going to happen? And then he turns 30. And remember, in those days, people didn't live to 70, 80 years of age. So maybe she started thinking, maybe this is never going to happen. I mean, doesn't it seem sometimes, and maybe this is just a little irreverent to say in church, that, well, God takes his sweet old time sometimes, right? You ever felt that way? Like, like God, what are you waiting for? It's, isn't it clear that I need help now? Isn't it clear that I need, to winter end, that I need winter to end now? And in this Christmas scenario, what was God waiting for? Christmas had come. Where, where's the spring that was promised? But now, listen, we know, we know that Christmas is not the end of winter, is it? It's just the beginning of a change in the season. We, we, we love Christmas. I hope you love Christmas. But, but then we have to go through January and February and March, and sometimes here in Edmonton we have to go through April to get to spring, right? The winter's so long sometimes. Can I... Can I suggest to you that it's really important to pay attention to those 33 years before Jesus started his ministry? Because here's what I want you to recognize. It's during these years that Jesus was in winter. Let me say that again. It was during these years that Jesus was in winter, in which his life was hard, and he had to learn the lessons of trusting his Father, even when life wasn't always going his way. I want to take you to a really cool passage in, in Hebrews 5. Um, listen to these words. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. Look at that last verse. He learned, he learned obedience from what he suffered. 
See, one of our issues is that we don't appreciate what it was like for Jesus to actually be a flesh and blood human being, right? We, we, we tend to think of him more as God than as a human. And was he God? Yes. But, but he also went through what, what is called a kenosis, right? This is a Greek term, which means emptying. And, and this is what Philippians 2 is talking about when it says this of Jesus. Who, that's Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Look at that verse. He made himself nothing, right? He emptied himself. Listen, friends, Jesus, Jesus knew what it meant to be in winter. Why? Because, because he experienced it in every way. Listen to the words of Hebrew four, Hebrews 4. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. It's during his, his in-between years, it's during the years leading up to Jesus' ministry that Jesus learned what it meant to go through winter. Does he understand what you're going through right now, if you're going through a winter, absolutely. Absolutely. But, and, and, and this is just a critical part of this message, so pay attention. It's not just that we have the comfort that Jesus understands what we're going through when we're in a winter. Now, Jesus, I'm glad you can identify with my pain. No, also, that we can follow Jesus in how he lived through winter. That we can follow Jesus in how he lived through winter. Jesus, in his flesh, learned and experienced things that can really help all of us follow him as we go through our winter. Whatever that might be. Can I mention just a few of them this morning? The first is this, how to have a prayerful relationship with the Father. How to have a prayerful relationship with the Father. Jesus, during his 33 plus years on earth, before he became a public figure, had to learn to relate to the Father. Remember, Jesus starts out as a baby, and he has to grow up, and he has to learn. He has to grow in wisdom, all right? Again, think about this. Jesus had to actually pray, okay? He had to set aside time in his, in his day, in his day-to-day routines to pray, just like you. I mean, he wasn't like hardwired into God. He, he didn't just get to mail it in, right? He, he didn't just go and pray so that uh, he could tell his disciples, okay, what I'm doing over here, this is what I want you to do. No, he actually had to learn to pray to be with his heavenly Father, to bring everything that was going on in his heart to his loving heavenly Father. He prayed through all the seasons of his life, but he also prayed especially to, 
to, to, to cope with, with his suffering, his temptations, his family problems, his frustrations. And, and we see this. We see this in the Gospels. At key points in his life, when he was choosing his disciples, when he, when he was burnt out, when he was overwhelmed, he prayed, right? He went away. He withdrew to pray. Again, that Hebrew 5 passage that we read, what does it say? It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. Have you ever been in a place where you are crying out to God and you feel lonely and you feel it, it's, it's, it's not a wonderful place to be in? When something's going on in your life and you're just you're overwhelmed, Jesus, Jesus had to learn to pray that same way as you. He had to learn to bring those things to the Father. And then he knew what it was like to pray through winter. And this is why when he starts to teach on prayer, he says things like, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Understand, this wasn't Jesus just trying to say something nice. This wasn't Jesus trying to be encouraging or, or, or so that we'd have something to put on a Hallmark card. No, this, this is a teaching born of 33 years being on his knees before the Father, offering up his whole heart to him. He said, I've been in that place where I've had to come back Time and time again to the same thing, asking the Father. And what he's saying in this passage, he's saying, you don't quit asking because you have a loving Heavenly Father. Keep on knocking. Don't give up. You know, if Jesus were here this morning and you were currently going to, through a winter and you came to the front, you know what Jesus would say to you? He would say, lean into your prayer life. Lean into your prayer life. Lean into your relationship with God. Ask, seek, and above all, keep on knocking because you have a father who answers prayer. I've experienced it. He would also tell you, he would also tell you that your prayer must be grounded on the idea that the father sees things from a grander and less time-bound perspective than you do. Remember, when does Jesus come? Jesus comes as the Bible says in Galatians, in the fullness of time. So Jesus came to understand that, that sometimes our prayers, sometimes the things that we come before God with, some, some, some of our, our cries and, and wails before the Lord, they don't get answered in the moment because we don't see the big picture. We don't see how God is, is pulling all things together for our benefit. And so Jesus would say, Here's one thing I had to learn to pray. As much as I, I wanted to pray about my needs, I also had to pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Listen, when Jesus prayed that in the Garden of Gethsemane, that wasn't just something so that we, in, you know, in 2019, could, could preach about it. No, Jesus had learned that. you pray that when you're going through winter? It's not an easy prayer, is it? Because we 
sure as heck want to have our will be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done because you see, you see things from a much grander perspective than I do. And so I bow to your sovereignty. Another way that you can follow Jesus in winter is this. Learning to have the Father meet your deepest needs. Learning to have the Father meet your deepest needs. One of the things that I love the most about Jesus is that he was so free of what everyone thought of him, right? If you've ever read the Gospels, and I, and I hope that you do, this just stands out. I mean, Jesus, Jesus loved people dearly, that's clear. Unlike anybody else, but he also was utterly, utterly unmoved by people's opinions of him. Of course, we know people who say, you know, some folks that we know in our day-to-day life that say, well, I don't care what people think of me. And we're like, maybe you should a little bit more, actually. It's not working for you. But, but Jesus, I mean, not in, not in the kooky way, but in the, in, the, in the good way, had learned to find his entire identity, his personhood, to have his deepest needs met by the Father. This is why, by the time he becomes a public figure, when he's 33, he's so free of people. Neither his immense popularity, nor the blistering criticism that he had to endure, affected him. He he doesn't get big-headed. He doesn't fold. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't, you know, walk away like we might in a tense situation. He doesn't get frustrated. He's just himself. You know, um, sometimes people will sum up the human condition this way. They'll say, being human essentially comes down to two things. Security, right? Am I okay? Am I okay? And then um, significance, right? Do I matter? I mean, that's kind of a good summary of our heart needs as human beings, right? Well, well, Jesus had learned in his 33 years on earth through the multiple winters that he went through. Remember, Isaiah, what does Isaiah call him? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus learned that ultimately you only get those things, security and significance from God. Oh, you can look for them in a hundred other ways, but in an ultimate sense, you can only find them in the Father. If you seek out, for example, um, significance in the opinion, opinions and judgments of others, I mean, that can really mess you up, right? It can lead to all sorts of bad fruit. In a similar way, if you look for security, right, in your bank account, or in, even in your family, and even in some good things, if you put all your hope, you put all your eggs in that basket, you're going to be disappointed in the end. You are. Those things can only be found in God and Jesus. Jesus had learned this. Man, this is important. You know, so many times what we experience as, as winter is born out of the fact that we are looking for security and significance in the stuff of this world instead of God, 
right? My business failed. Okay, that doesn't define you, ultimately. My relational world is in shambles. But don't you know that people will always fail you in some way? It's only the Father that won't fail you. I'm sick. Yes, everyone in this room is going to die. But you have a hope in Jesus that goes beyond the grave. Jesus had learned this. He'd learned this. Oh, there's so much more I could say, but I'm running out of time. So last one. Last one, and this might seem even a little strange to you, um, learning scripture, learning scripture. Think about it. Jesus, in his humanness, had to learn scripture. He had to learn God's revelation to this world in the Bible. Again, we, we get kooky about this. We think, oh, he just, he was like hardwired into him ever since he was a baby. Like, like as a baby, he could quote, you know, Isaiah from front to back. Not true. He had to go to school. He had to learn just like you do. He spent a lifetime, 33 years learning scripture. And um, we, we, we see how this gets applied in, in different ways, right? Um, and, and, and it's important. Again, back to that story when he was 12 years old, when he went to Jerusalem to the temple for his bar, bar mitzvah, and he, he stays behind. And the reason he stays behind because he gets talking to all of the, all of the, you know, um, the rabbis there. And, and it's really curious. I don't know if you ever caught this. But it says in Luke, he was there asking them questions. All right? So in other words, he, 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 he wanted to grow. He wanted to learn in his understanding of Scripture. Of course, they, they, they could see he was an incredible prodigy. Right, something they had never seen before. But Jesus had to learn scripture, just like you and me. And now he's 33, at the start of his ministry. And what is the first thing that happens? You can read about this. The devil comes to tempt him. And as you know, the devil is very sneaky. And so he tries to tempt Jesus with what? With scripture. But by this time, Jesus knows the Bible. And at every turn, he has, he has a superior word for Satan. And at the end of it, Satan, you know, he does a Arnold Schwarzenegger and says, I'll be back, right? Again, Jesus, now, Jesus is teaching us how to handle a winter. It's not just with what the British would call a stiff upper lip, right? No, it's with the truth of Scripture. Listen, friends, you can employ Scripture as a weapon against the darkness, as a weapon against winter itself. But if you never study it, if you never absorb it, you don't have that capacity. Jesus' answers, answers to the devil were born of years of absorbing Scripture, which, as 2 Timothy tells us, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Scripture. You going through winter right now? Here's one of the things I would deeply encourage you to do. And I'll do this sometimes in my office. Um, I have a couple cupboard doors that I have to open from time to time, right? And I'll just write out some scripture. I'll just print it out on my printer. And then I'll tape it into the inside of the cupboard. 
And, uh, and so I don't see it all the time. But inevitably, I'll have to go in, into the cupboard, and then I'll just open it, and I'll go, oh, yeah, right? When, I'm, I, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, right? Or, of course, there's a, there's a myriad of other scriptures, and I don't know exactly what kind of winter experience that you have right now. But I can tell you this, there's some scripture that can be incredibly comforting. Years ago, um, I used to work for the Bible League, and um, one of the most popular things that we would kind of bring to churches, because of course we were, you know, we were in the marketing business, um, there was a little tiny book, and all it was, it was so simple. It just had all these topics, right? If you're going through cancer, uh, financial loss, loss of a baby, uh, uh, you know, whatever. All, you can imagine all the different life situations. And for each one of them, it had scripture. It was by far the most popular thing that people would take home from the Bible League when we stocked it in churches. And I'm telling you, whatever winter you're going through, there's some scripture for you. And here's my pledge to you. If any of you want to email me this week and say, Pastor Bruce, this is what I'm going through, I will send you some scripture, all right, that maybe you can print out and tape to the inside of your cupboards, or maybe in your car, or maybe somewhere else. And so every once in a while as you're going through life, as you're going through this winter, you see those scriptures and you can say, yes, I have a different worldview. There's hope in Jesus. There's life in Jesus. Christmas has come. It won't always be winter. Spring is coming. If not today, if not tomorrow, it's coming one day. And that's a promise that cannot fail. Because it's a promise that God has made. When you find yourself in winter, here's my advice to you. Follow Jesus. Because he's been through winter too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, which I know is, is speaking to this congregation this morning. This is an important word for some folks to hear this morning. I just pray one thing, that they would take it to heart, that they would receive it, and Jesus, that they would follow you through winter. Trusting that one day it will be spring again. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.